Businesses are tapping into artificial intelligence tools to help in their hiring and human resources tasks. But does this really help the process of finding good employees and keeping the ones that they have? Coming up next on Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me on the show today is Jay Sabin. He is an employment and labor attorney with Brock Eichler in New York City. Welcome to the show, Jay. Good morning. Good morning to our listeners. So, uh, you know, what kind of impacts are you seeing from the employment law space uh, of generative AI in terms of the relationship between employers and employees? Are you seeing a a big disruption, a little disruption? Um, Tell me about the overall impact of of Gen AI from from your perspective. Well, I can tell you adoption wise, I'm seeing with my clients a tremendous acceleration. Mm-hmm. of a desire to use, or on occasion, also a reaction to employee use. Um, questions about how to set up policies in the workplace, how to respond when an employee uses it. And then a- as an outside lawyer, I often get the case or the call rather when the house is already on fire and something um, unfavorable has happened with respect to the use of AI. Okay. And, and, and a lot of companies were using artificial intelligence tools before this. So has the, you know, the, the impact of generative AI, like a chat GPT, has that even accelerated even, even more, or is it having a different type of impact than maybe some of these other AI tools that companies might've been using before? Well, you're absolutely right. And it's worth to spend two seconds to uh, just to level set with our listeners. Yeah. You know, some AI creates content. That's what you just call generative AI. And some AI analyzes data. Um, But in either case, what they do is they work off the, the tool works off a database. For analyzing data, a lot of times it's a proprietary database. A company may, for example, have five years of history of how long it takes their trucks to get from point A to B. And then the AI tool will use that data to extrapolate. Um, On the other hand, with generative AI, it often works off a publicly available database. Think, you know, some period of time for uh, Google postings or through a date certain. And then in both instances, what the application does, it extrapolates from that data using a logical uh, algorithm to form a result, to form, frankly, Keith, a prediction based upon the data, based upon its algorithm. Um, But to be plain with everyone, it is not the same as a Google search. Mm -hmm. Keith, when you and I Google search, we then read through, look at the results, and then we use our human experience and our intellect to synthesize those results. Um, that's not what AI does. Does it replicate it somewhat, but not exactly? Okay. And, and you know, I think when we were talking beforehand, you were talking about some of the macro impacts that it's having, um, but there's also some micro impacts. Can you, can you delineate between the two of those um, from what you're seeing companies kind of come to you for advice around? So let, let's, let's start with the macro level for our listeners. On a macro level, uh, a, employers are using AI and the workplace on day one, meaning for the recruitment hiring process. Um, 
If you as a listener haven't yet interacted with a chat bot or a video tool as part of the hiring or screening process, um, you will soon. Yeah. That's the degree of adoption. Um, so on a macro level, it's being used as a screening tool. And we'll talk more about that. And then also on a macro level, it's being used in the workplace to perform work, sometimes to replace work that's being done, sometimes to augment work, sometimes to do work that otherwise a person would do. All right. And so let's talk about the uh, use of AI uh, in that hiring decision process. Uh, what are some of the pitfalls and obstacles that, that companies are navigating in, in this space? Is it is it worth a lot of these potential headaches for them to go through all this, or is this creating more work for down the line? Um, and I get, there's a bunch of bullet points we can talk about, but I, but I want to see what you're what you're thinking. Well, Keith, I think we're going to spend a lot of our time before our discussion is over today on predictions for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll start there for a little bit. Uh, the use of AI in the workplace will not decrease. It will accelerate. And how it gets synthesized and coordinated and implemented in the workplace, we'll talk about that. But the notion that it's going to be stopped or halted either because it doesn't work or because companies are too suspect about it or because big government gets involved, that's not going to happen. It's going to be in the workplace. It is in the workplace. Okay, so you're seeing a it's lot in of our lives. Yeah, so you're seeing right. a lot of companies that are telling you that it's worth it to to face some of these these hurdles um, because of the the broader impact and the broader benefits that they would get out of that. Correct. Right, and let's spend a few moments talking about what hurdles may be, uh, otherwise known in my parlance as legal issues or risk. <laughs> okay, um, and, and and so. When you're using any hiring tool as a company, it's illegal to use that tool in a way that disproportionately excludes candidates with the same protected characteristic where the screening tool is not job related. So let me unpack that yeah. for everyone because I don't want to, I don't want to use too much legal please. So, <laughs> Screening tool, that means AI. Yep. It may be you or I on a job interview talking to a chatbot. The chatbot doesn't like the words we use or the phrases we use or the idioms we use. And it gives a report back to the hiring manager saying, exclude exclude Keith. He's not going to be good for this job. So that's a screening tool. That's AI as a screening tool. Now let's talk about what the phrase disproportionately excluding candidates with the same protected characteristic. Let's take a simple example. If a hundred people apply for a job that where AI is used as a screening tool and 50% of the candidates are male and 50% are female, but the screening tool Mm -hmm. excludes every single female candidate, that's called a legal problem. Right. That's called a legal problem. Now, the only saving grace, or not grace, but the only way that can be saved is if the tool is job-related. Generally speaking, AI will not be necessarily job-related, but a classic example is the firefighter who has to be able to lift 50 pounds dead weight. Okay. 
That's that would be perfectly fine for a firefighting company to require every candidate to show that he or she or they can lift 50 pounds dead weight. But that's not the case with AI. So that's that's the legal construct. Now, why does AI come up in this discussion? Because AI can be innately biased or it can be programmed to be biased. Okay. So let's talk about innate bias for half a half a second. Sure. Um, there have been studies that have shown that some AI tools, when they use a video screen, screen out candidates with certain skin color. They don't recognize it from that database. Okay. Remember when we level set before, AI is only as good as the database it draws from and the logic it uses. And if the database doesn't have a lot of people with a certain skin color in it, the AI tool may say, oh, that's not the type of person you want as, as an employee. It can also screen out candidates who don't use words or phrases or idioms that most candidates use. Because mm -hmm. again, in that database, it doesn't see a lot of a certain type of idiom and it draws the lodge it draws a conclusion that that candidate's not going to be good for this job the fact of the matter is though you and i as human knows we don't we don't screen in that regard um and but because ai does you can it can result in that that um it's called disparate impact mm -hmm. it has a disparate impact on a certain group of people so that's the legal issue and that's why ai is front and center of the, on, on this legal issue. And let me share with you how front and center it is. Yeah, go ahead. I do it. Uh, 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 the EEOC. Hey, hey, Jay. Which is hey, Jay, we're, we're getting some lag here from, from this. Is this our side or their side? Jay, we're going to hang up. Hold on. Or No, we're not hanging up. All right. Yeah, just hold on for a second, Jay. Okay. Okay. Hey, Jay, are you still there? Jay, yeah, are you still there? Can you still hear us? Okay, you can see us. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Okay, all right. Are you on a Are you on a Wi-Fi connection? Or yes. Can you switch to a wired, or is that too too problem problematic? Fine. It's what? Let's have him call back in. Okay, hey, can you just call back in and we're going to just try it and and then we'll just pick up where we, where we were. Very good. Okay, just call back in. We'll we'll still be on the line here.
You think it's his? Fucking Zoom. Our internet, our internet speed is awful sharp. Yeah. It's like the second one in a row, though, where we're having these issues. Yeah, the first time was our... Right, I know it was us. Okay, it is connecting. I'm connected. All right, Jay. Yeah, you sound you sound better here. So let's just keep going before in case we lose it again. Jay, Where, where yeah, should I pick? Uh, just pick, pick up. I'll, I'll just ask another. I'll just ask a question, um, and then we'll go from there. Uh, so you had mentioned right. uh, you had mentioned innate bias. What what was the the other one? That it was it was based on the programmer. Did you get to that that part? These, these the AI tools that are being sold, some of them permit the user, meaning the company that's doing the screening, to actually use the tool to program out or to screen out certain individuals. Okay. And I'll talk about this. And and, and I, as I put it now, there are three hundred sixty-five thousand good reasons why a company has to pay attention to this because that's the amount in dollars that a company just a few weeks ago had to pay because the EOC had found that it used an AI tool to exclude older candidates from the job. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, you know, in New York city where, where you guys are, are, are out of, uh, there were some new regulations as well. Um, how has that been going? Have, have companies struggled with these new regulations or are these AI tools falling in line to what, what the city's looking for? Well, there's a lot still to shake out. Uh, the regulations that you refer to went into effect in early July of this year. Um, there are still certain eddies and specifics to be worked out in final regulations uh, from New York City and how it actually gets implemented and used. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to sometime to shake out. Now, under this new law, there are three things an employer has to do, three primary things. If they want to use AI in a substantial way to make decisions about candidates. One, they have to conduct annually, uh, it's called a bias audit. Mm -hmm. So we spoke a few minutes ago, Keith, about screening out candidates of the same characteristic they have to, users of, of AI tools in New York City now have to conduct a bias to see if that's happening or to what extent. Two, they have to publish the results so anyone can see it on the company's website. And three, candidates, people applying for the job have to be on notice that they're going to be subject to some type of screening that's AI based. Okay. And, and in general, those those and, those three rules are helping, right? Well, they are. They're what they're doing is they're making the use of AI more transparent. Mm -hmm. They're making the use of AI transparent. And while New York City may be the first place to have a law like this, it's not going to be the last. Yeah. 
And and there's there's several of these different tools out there. It's not like that companies are only choosing from one or two. There's dozens or hundreds of, of these different tools out there, right? Do, do does a company have to go through each of those and, and figure out what they which ones they want to use, or do they generally select a couple to try out before they they start implementing it? And what do you have to review as a lawyer too? So let's unpack that. Uh, the first thing to unpack is not all AI screening tools are the same. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's significant variation uh, in b- between vendors, right? And also between products. There's version 3.0, version 3.1, version 4.3. Yeah. Um, so there's different versions. And like a, a, a good capitalist, the vendor charges more for the newer version. So not all AI is created equal. The second thing uh, to unpack from what you said is, what should um, a rational, prudent, careful company do about choosing the the right vendor? Well, at least look at a few products out there, get yourself smart, perhaps even hire a consultant about it, Um, certainly have something on record that you just didn't choose the first vendor that came in the door. Right. And the third thing to unpack, I think, is the fascinating thing, uh, Keith, and and, and I call that who's responsible. Okay. Is it the company that's using the AI screening tool or is it the vendor that created the AI screening tool? And the answer is both. Mm -hmm at least according to a California decision or a decision that came from California's highest court literally a few weeks ago. The issue in front of them was, is the vendor that's using the AI tool, they're not the employer, right? They're not hiring the person. Yep. They're just screening the person. Are they are they liable? And California's highest court said, yes, they are. Yeah. So, so what does that mean? What do I do when I get involved? I do something on behalf of companies called negotiating indemnification, which means if something bad goes happen, that if something bad happens, hey, you vendor who put this product into the marketplace and charged me a fee for it, you should stand behind it. Right. So are you finding that more of those vendors are taking the responsibility or in making their products uh, better? I, I can't imagine that they would initially put out something that could cause a problem, but but are you, you know, is the trend going upwards towards more responsible vendors? So it, it comes down, a lot of times it comes down to the uh, age old dispute of it wasn't me, it was you. <laughs> the, ven- the, the vendor says, well, you used it, you programmed it, you set the parameters, you know, the tool itself is inherently um, illegal. It's how you used it. And uh, a lot of that, uh, a lot of that gets carried out in, in, frankly, how it gets used. And it goes back to an employer not being able or shouldn't just choose the first AI vendor, the first AI product it sees to put in place for screening. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about explainability? Um, is that because that always seems like a, a big issue for companies that have these AI tools? They try to ask the tool, 
well, how, why did you make that decision? Why did you screen out Keith versus uh, some of these other candidates? And it, 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 sometimes I get the answer of, well, we can't really explain it. Um, and that doesn't cause a lot of trust. Um, are you seeing that, that these tools are, getting, are doing a better job? Are they, are they assigning everything a score and then they show you the score? Or is it something else? So just on a macro level, that issue of the user or reader of the AI product, not knowing how AI got to it, it is troubling. Yeah. And it's inherent in AI right now. AI does not come out with footnotes, the, its product that it forms, right? It doesn't come out with sourcing. Um, it's, it's really, and we'll talk about it more before we're done today for our listeners about how important it is so that users in a workplace understand in general ways, in general terms, um, how AI works. Because that sourcing issue that you hit upon is exactly what makes it unsettling. And with respect to hiring decisions, that's why a law like New York City doesn't require employers to understand each decision that the AI tool makes, mm -hmm. but rather to assess the gestalt of it, right? What's the impact overall, not on one candidate, but on a pool of candidates okay. or certain types of candidates being screened out. And when there is that statistically significant screening out, that disparate impact, now the employer has to go back in, work with its vendor, and change parameters do, or stop using it. Yeah. Do you think that the tools may get to that point where they are asking for footnotes and sources? Uh, obviously, you're in, you're in the, the law field. Um, that's almost a requirement for everything that you do when you're making an argument is, is show me the case law that proves my argument, right? So do you see that happening in, in, the, in this space or are people just going to go, well, it's AI, we'll trust it? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll share a story with our listeners about some lawyer from New York State who was uh, running out of time. He had to file a brief with the court yep. and um, he went to AI and said, AI, please prepare for me a legal memo on this issue. And out came a work product that read pretty well. Yeah. AI is pretty, pretty good at syntax, how things sound, how it reads. It's excellent, for example, Keith, at poetry. Excellent. So the lawyer read it, looked pretty good, and it had legal citations in it. And the lawyer claims that he then went back to AI and said, does this case really exist? And AI said, absolutely, this case really exists. And the lawyer submitted the, the brief to the court. Yep. And the other side got it and said, wait a minute, I want to read these cases. I can't find them anywhere. Right. What library are you using? Um, and this lawyer had to admit to the court that he committed a fraud on the court. Which in for lawyers, that's as bad as it gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that case. Because that was the, that was a big deal in the uh, in the news in the news side uh, as well, um, but do you see this happening? Like, do you see then these companies doing this for the hiring decisions, or or is is the aggregate good enough? Is the gestalt, as you said, is that good enough for for most companies? It, it might be good enough for New York City, but is it good enough for the general population as well? For now, when I'm counseling companies, which I do on a regular basis, yeah. 
the the aggregate is that is the level of analysis that needs to be done legally does that mean it's satisfactory for a company for example there may be companies that want to enhance dei in the workplace and they don't like the results that they're getting on their ai tool so there may be non-legal issues of why it's not satisfactory for for a company using it okay let's talk a little bit about the micro impacts that you had mentioned and that's generally employees at a an organization using ai for different purposes within the within the space um you know how should companies work with employees to make sure that they are using AI properly so that you guys don't get a phone call in, in the legal department or the, you know, the, the attorney's office. Um, what are some of the things that, that the management needs to do? Well, let, let's, let's speaking of level set. Yeah. Let's be honest with each other. People are using it in the workplace whether it's sanctioned, authorized, directed by their manager or supervisor or not, people are using it just like we're using it in our personal lives. You know, I'm not here to, to, to be a proponent of any one particular vendor, mm -hmm. but you and I can easily get a, an account with chat GPT for free use. Right. It takes about 60 seconds to set up an account. So it's, it's in the workplace, whether it's blessed or not blessed, it's in the workplace. So let's talk about, uh, for our listeners, what bad things can come out of that. I can talk about a lot of good things, but I'm the lawyer here. I talk about risk. And here are some bad things that can come out of using uh, AI in the workplace to create work product for the company. Um, one, because the user doesn't know where the AI is getting the result from, what it formed, it, it could be just another person's, another party's uh, words. Maybe it's intellectual property. Uh, there's something called plagiarism. You know, just stealing someone else's words and using it for a commercial purpose is a problem, a legal problem. And, and that can happen. AI doesn't necessarily create something new. It just forms a response to the request that the user made based upon the database it was trained on and its algorithm. So you have that issue, right? Yep. Um, we talked a bit about the issue of blind uh, reliance on the results. Uh, let's call it trusting AI. And, 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 and we talked about the lawyer who trusted AI, who even asked AI if he should trust AI. And AI said, of course, trust me. <laughs> um, that's not too good. Um, and... You know, there was an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal just a few days ago about companies double checking, having their employees, their staff double check AI. Yeah. Um, doesn't exactly take full advantage of what AI can offer. Um, but for the time being, I can see why companies are doing the double check. Okay. Have you he heard any examples yet of companies that are putting corporate secrets? Um, into the training set for these large language models, or or has that not maybe or or has that maybe not been publicized yet? Um, that because that could be a potential issue, right? Well, we haven't seen it yet on on the cover of the New York Post. But yeah. stay tuned. Um, because <laughs> oh, nice tease. 
<laughs> because what you're saying or what you're referencing is a person at a company that is working with some confidential information of either their employer, right? Or of a customer or a client or a patient, if you're in the healthcare services. And this person enters that confidential information into the AI query box. Okay. As part of making a request to AI to form a result. That's a major problem. Yeah. Because once the that confidential information is entered into AI, if you look carefully, and that's what lawyers do, they look at the fine print, right? If you look carefully at the fine print, the fine print on a company like ChatGPT says, once you enter information, it's ours to use as well. Right. Wow. So, okay. So this 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 employee has now disclosed confidential information. Hopefully, it's not the secret to Coca Cola, <laughs> but it's never a good result when you're disclosing confidential information. Do you think that some of these these leaks would be uh, inadvertent mistakes initially, or are, could we see this being used as corporate sabotage or cyber secure, you know, cyber hacks, those types of things? I would say, Keith, if you're going to be nefarious, not you, if someone is going to be nefarious, <laughs> there's, 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 there's a heck of a lot of other tools to be nefarious with uh, these days. Um, I, I, I think it's fair to say that it's inadvertent disclosure slash ignorant disclosure, but it hits exactly on a point about what should a company do. A company can't be uh, ignorant about the use of AI. And what I see and what I'm getting calls about are careful companies, careful employers, that they want to provide guidance to their staff. They want to provide training to their staff. And they want to set employee expectations about how to use AI in the workplace. Okay. And, and do you get queries from either employers or employees about this whole idea of AI taking taking jobs away from people? Or is that, do most companies still see this as a tool that can help the, their employees perform better and, and be more efficient? With respect to what jobs are take, taken away or reformulated or created, Keith, that's really the warp and woof of the marketplace. Yeah. Uh, today it's AI. Yesterday it was smartphones. Before that it was Blackberries. Before that it was computers. Before that it was a typewriter. There's technology and it's going to both change jobs and make new jobs. Uh, there was some publicity, some media attention recently on uh, a posting of the $900,000 AI job. Right. I remember that. Yeah. Company was out looking for candidates to uh, be head of quote machine learning platforms and offering a salary of $900,000. So there, there's up valuing of jobs, there's job redundancy, and there's job uh, reformation as a result of AI. And, and so I wanted to ask you since you are an attorney, uh, how is that impacting your space, the legal space? Do you? Do you, does your firm use AI in, in its own offerings? Now, obviously you can use it to research case, but you're also double checking to make sure those cases are real, obviously. Uh, but like, how are you, you guys using it in, in your space? 
Well, let, let's start with uh, the collective at, at my firm. Yeah. We've all received training on AI. Mm -hmm. Not training on how to use a specific AI application or application tool, but training about at how AI works in general. What are the risks of using AI? And, and, and I would hope and trust that any major law firm is providing their staff, all their employees, with training about it. There's also training about how to speak with our clients about whether we do or don't use AI. There, a, a classic lawyer job is the misery of going through 100,000 pages of documents in a lawsuit to see if three are relevant to the case. Yeah, uh, That culling process can be greatly accelerated with AI. For us as lawyers, we wanna make sure that we're transparent about that with our clients, both about the impact, the limitations and the costs. And we've been trained with respect to that. With respect to using it for intelligence, I don't mean capital I intelligence, like it's mine, just getting educated and smart yeah. about a particular issue under the law. Uh, if I am to use it, I use it only to confirm what I already think and then only subject to verification. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's still a very effective tool. I'm not su suggesting that any lawyer should be a Luddite about it. Um, it can be a very effective tool that cuts time. And for lawyers, time is client money. Right, right. And um, you had mentioned at the beginning of the episode that you know we're going to be making a lot of predictions. So I'm going to ask you that now. Uh, where do you see this headed? Is are we going to is this, is this going to be a bumpy road as companies figure out the the hurdles, or uh, is it going to be a straight line up to the top and we're going to become super awesome at this? Like you know, where where do you see it from your perspective as an attorney? So uh, let, let's let's unpack that. Because um, I do have a I do, I yeah, Jay, I do have a follow up, but depending on your answer. Um, <laughs> here's how I've seen workplace regulation work in the past twenty or so years. It used to be that most workplace regulation came out of the federal government, and it blanketed the whole country. Classic example is the regulation of pension benefits and health benefits. That's, there's one rule for the whole country. Yep. That's the, that model has devolved though in the past generation or so, the past few decades, where each state, each and, and lots of municipalities and local jurisdictions are taking their own approach. So, uh, and I call that the balkanization of workplace regulation. I predict that's what's gonna happen with AI also. New York City is going to have one group of regulations. California is going to have a different one. Washington, D.C. may have a federal one, but there's going to be a number of different types of regulations about AI, not just one. And to answer your question, Keith, when there's not just one set of rules, there's always bumpiness. Yeah, yeah, because that sounds like a nightmare to me. To having, a, a, you know, well, thousands of different regulations and now the cynic in me would say, "Well, that'll keep all of the uh, lawyers happy. <laughs> we'll give all the lawyers all the work to, to to go through all of these different regulations." Um, is there is there a, an upside to having all of these different regulations? 
So whether there's upside downside, I think that's going to be the reality. And Keith, we see that today in privacy regulation. Uh-huh. In, in the EU, for example, there's one privacy regulation. It's at the EU level. Yeah. In this country, we now have about nine different states with different privacy regulations. California was the biggest. They passed their law a few years ago, and just in the past 12 months, a number of other states have. That, frankly, in my humble opinion, should be something that's regulated at the federal level, but it's not. It, it, and it, I, and, it is and that because of my prediction. Yeah. Is it, is it not at the federal level because of all of the different political issues that, that could arise out of this, or is it the, the federal government is just too slow to react to new technology like AI? So that's for our next podcast, <laughs> I think, about the dysfunction. Right. Well, just a quick answer, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a product. It's see all the above. Yeah, I, that's what I was figuring. But whether it comes from one source or nine sources, that's what I see. I see multiple regulations governing AI going forward. Okay. But so it, does that keep you optimistic about the future of AI? Because it does feel like with multiple regulations and jurisdictions that a lot of the innovation could get bogged down by these regulations and just wait. And then people could just say, ah, screw it. I'm, I'm going to go back to my old, my old system. Or, you know, what gets us out of this about the potential weight of all of these? So I don't see anything as a showstopper. Okay. Meaning AI is so good and its product so good in general, and it's so easy to use. And the fact that everything in this world is digital, it's going to be used and used even more. But back to your observation, is it a straight line or some bumps? Yeah. It's some bumps. Yeah. That's exactly right. All right, Jay. Uh, thanks uh, Thanks for joining us on the show today. Uh, some great stuff to, uh, to mull over and think about. Uh, so thanks for joining us on the show. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today's episode. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any thoughts that you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.